Hello and welcome to the Thriving Families podcast. I'm Anna and this is the podcast which aims to provide a safe and non-judgmental space for us to be able to talk about children and young people with additional support needs. Thriving Families and I are based in the Highlands of Scotland and we're hoping to connect people to support us in feeling less isolated and being able to recognise that you're not the only one. Today I'm talking about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, otherwise known as FASD. Um, We've chosen this topic at Thriving Families as we are supporting FASD Awareness Month, which is running across September. And the theme of this year's FASD Awareness campaign is hashtag be aware. Now the aim is to raise awareness about FASD in two ways, I suppose, really. The challenges that it that it brings for young people and adults who are living with FASD but also helping make people aware that this is actually a preventative neurological disorder Um, FASD is the effect of alcohol consumed by a birth mother during pregnancy and as such it's preventable so the awareness is trying to raise awareness as how you know what a big impact FASD can have on a person and therefore how we can prevent that if there is no alcohol consumed then there can be no chance of this condition therefore advocating that we are advocating that anyone who is trying to get pregnant or who is pregnant should abstain from consuming alcohol because the high risk of you know bringing a child into this world with this condition that is lifelong Now, I suppose there does seem to be less common knowledge about the lifelong impact of SASD in comparison to maybe some other neurodiverse conditions. There's a huge challenge SASD can have on a person's life, um, both as a child and as an adult. Now, maybe if people were more aware of this, then maybe people wouldn't support, would help support pregnant mothers um, in really understanding and discovering, you know, the the negative impact of consuming alcohol during pregnancy. Now, I think most people will probably have heard that, you know, oh, it's just one drink, it won't hurt, um, or maybe, you know, or I've, you know, I didn't know I was pregnant, or, oh, my friend drank a little bit and it was okay. And I suppose it's maybe uneducated ignorance in some way in that we need to help people really understand how serious the impact of drinking alcohol during pregnancy can be, and therefore we need to support people to try and not do that. Now, personally, I've never been pregnant, okay, um, or I've never had a full pregnancy. Um, I did try to get pregnant, so I can say for the time of my life when I went through fertility treatment and trying to start a family naturally, um, I didn't drink alcohol. I was advised not to by the doctor, and it was also just behaviourally something that I suppose I recognised as being a positive thing to not do, but it wasn't really jumping out into my head in my memory, I suppose, because I don't want to have FASD, um, or I didn't want any future child to have FASD, it was just maybe seen, in my head, I was just thinking about a healthy child. Um, So in that time, I didn't drink alcohol, and I think I was really probably super careful overall about my health and my food and my activity, um, way better than I actually am now, I would say for sure. Um, 
you know, that was my choice. And because maybe I had some fertility issues, maybe I worked a little bit harder in trying to perfect everything and get everything right to try and conceive and try and have a healthy pregnancy. Now, I recognize that that was my choice and everybody has their own choices. Um, and I wanted to have a family and it was something I was working really hard to try and achieve. And, and so for me, sacrificing a glass of wine didn't really feel like too big a deal. However, I understand that everybody, you know, is different and people are going to find certain things challenging, you know, and in some scenarios, like an unplanned pregnancy, I can see that, you know, maybe people may not realise that they are consuming alcohol when they are pregnant. And, you know, we recognise that and there's, you know, hopefully not a blame culture, but what we need to do is have an informative culture where we can support and educate people to try and prevent FASD where possible. And if it isn't preventable because it is something maybe that happened unaware, then support these people who are living with FASD. You know, and I think if people understand a little bit more about the impact it has on an individual living their life, then maybe we can move forward a bit more with it and, you know, bring it the attention that needs to happen. FASD is a lifelong, non-curable disorder. Now, I'm not an expert, okay? Um, I am not a medical practitioner. Everything I'm telling you today is information that, yeah, I've researched and I've looked up, but it's coming from my perspective, I suppose, as an average person, yeah? Now, so from what I've learned about FASD and you know, a little bit that I did know already, you know, it's a it's a lifelong learning disability and it will affect individuals physically, emotionally, mentally and psychologically. Now, if we think about how it's really caused, there's kind of two ways in which FASD can happen during pregnancy where um, it's directly in the alcohol is kind of consumed directly into fetal cells and then it's indirectly where it modifies the genes. So when a child is born with FASD, um, <clears throat> that traditionally there was seen as being the, mo the most common way of diagnosis was by really identifiable facial characteristics. Now these are small eyes, a thin upper lip and a flat philtrum, that's the, the little bit between your upper lip and your and your nose. Now, however, these facial characteristics only occur in less than 10% of people with FASD. So that's a tiny proportion. Essentially, FASD is a hidden disability. The impact is greatly within the brain, okay? And so, Simply thinking that, oh, if a child looks this way, then they've got FASD. If they don't, they don't have FASD. It just doesn't work, okay? Because for over 90% of people with FASD, there is no outwardly visible, um, um, excuse my words, sorry. There's no outwardly visible way to identify it. So this means that we really do need to be more aware and more vigilant as without support and diagnosis, it is recorded that, you know, FASD can have a detrimental effect on an individual's long-term life. Now, in my reading up over the last week or so, I've discovered that the UK has the fourth highest level of prenatal alcohol in the world, which is actually really quite scary if we think that we're meant to be a kind of highly educated, informed nation of people. 
Now, FASD is the most common cause of a neurodevelopmental disability, okay, the most common cause of something that is preventable. And hence, I do believe that we need to work harder, you know, that's what it's really become apparent to me through my reading and research the past week or so. So statistics say that between three to five percent of the UK population possibly have FASD. And that is already higher than autism or ADHD. However, I support that it's probably higher since this really is a hidden disability. And many people may live their whole lives with it being undiagnosed. Now, the FASD Scotland Hub states that possibly as many as 1 in 20 people may have FASD. In comparison, that's 1 in 94 people with ASD. Um, so if FASD really is so preventable in society and considering the statistics show that it's possibly such a high proportion within the population, it seems crazy that we are not hearing more about it and that we're not actively campaigning and supporting people to raise awareness and to help prevent this high number of cases. Statistically and scientifically, there is no known safe level of alcohol which can be consumed during pregnancy. Hence, that's why the advice is no alcohol, and therefore that means no risk. Now, if we think about it, alcohol is a toxic substance, you know, and as an adult, our livers and our metabolic systems can process the toxins within the alcohol. However, a fetus just doesn't have that developed liver or metabolic system and hence the toxins cannot be filtered out and the harm is caused. It's, it's not a per chance it might not happen. It's, you know, the evidence is there. It's scientific. So if a child is then born with FASD, I think we really need to understand about what the impact is on them as an individual, as a child, and then as they grow up. Now, I already mentioned about the facial characteristics, and I do personally remember in some form of a teaching, um, in my teaching career, it being mentioned to me um, and pointed out to me, actually explained to me a little bit and said, you know, oh, FASD is a condition. And it was brought to me, I remember speaking specifically about one child when they said, oh, you can see that this child have has FASD. But it was very much, you know, it was a comment in passing, there was no more information and I wasn't working in a circumstance with that child. Whereas it was very much what stuck in my head were the facial characteristics. So I suppose as a young and naive teacher, I didn't really think about anything else. I just thought that that was the, um, the, the giveaway sign, I suppose. I didn't think of it more as being a hidden disability. So I never really realised that 90% of people with AFD would not have those features. I genuinely didn't know the figure was so high. And, you know, with hindsight, you know, considering my education and my experience, I should have known better, you know. Um, we do seem to have a better understanding of some neurological condi conditions in society. And I think that's because of such fantastic research and awareness growing but clearly FASD is still in developing a bigger profile and there still needs to be more research so that, you know, clearly we, if this is preventable, we need to promote it and research further. So as I said before, the biggest impact of FASD is a hidden disability because it's the impact is within, within the brain. 
Now, although people are all individuals and there are clear similarities in challenges and strengths for people with FASD, there are um, common areas within which there might be struggles. So executive functioning, for example, basically meaning that the, the bit of the brain that helps you organize, plan, problem solve, understand and be able to maintain routines and recognize timetables. Now, these things become quite challenging for some people with FASD. Now, immediately for me, alarm bells ring because you can recognize that anyone who struggles with executive functioning, therefore, would probably find school difficult. Following routines, a timetable, managing to remember dates when homework's due in, struggling to kind of problem solve and identify when work needs to be done at different levels. Now, all of these, therefore, are really common side effects for a child who may be undiagnosed and could maybe just be seen as, oh, they're a bit lazy, they don't really put any effort in, they're just a bit forgetful. Um, You know, memory, both long and short term, can be a challenge for people with FASD. And this also goes on to following instructions. And I mean super short instructions. So even, you know, one, two, three steps, they can get the steps confused, can't remember what step three was, skip over a step. And again, we can imagine that in a very structured school environment, a child unable to retain simple instructions may just be seen as not bothering, okay, or ignoring instructions, being slightly defiant, whereas actually maybe, you know, there could be uh, an explanation for it. There's so many effects of FASD that could make, for example, schooling difficult if it is left undiagnosed, if there's not the correct support and understanding in place, such as language, auditory processing, attention span, difficulty sleeping, um, impulsive behaviour, going from extremes of hyperactivity to um, fatigue, um, sensory skills, um, affecting coordination. You know, there's there's just so many different kind of symptoms, I suppose, that can happen. Now, um, cognitive empathy, learning and inability to regulate your emotions, as well as not correctly understanding social cues, personal boundaries... And being emotionally younger than your chronological age. All of these are genuine challenges for someone with FASD. And with support and understanding, these effects can be managed with coping strategies and adaptive approaches to learning. However, sadly, since many cases of FASD go undiagnosed, or simply due to a lack of knowledge and understanding, people may be left unsupported and struggling. You can also see that many of the kind of conditions, um, symptoms, or behaviours may be seen as being traits of other disorders. So quite often FASD might be misdiagnosed. Um, so there could, for example, it could be seen as people might recognise the hyperactivity and believe it could be ADHD. So, you know, it's hard to see the connection between FASD and where it overlaps with other disorders and conditions. And so it, it can be quite challenging, both for um, people trying to understand what's going on and both for the individual. So for somebody with FASD, I suppose the social and academic, if it's involving school challenges, usually grow and end up with poor behaviour um, and 
being seen as being lazy, as I said before, and not really being seen as genuine difficulties. So if there's not that understanding as somebody who has FASD, then these seem as tasks that they should be able to do. You know, people with FASD do need lifelong support. It doesn't go away. Okay, and if understanding of that grows, then hopefully, you know, we can support people better. And not only will we be supporting people living with FASD, but hopefully that itself will raise awareness for people to realize that this is preventable. You know, people with FASD who do not receive appropriate support tend to end up as adults with poor mental health, alcohol and drug problems, social difficulties inappropriate sexual boundaries and generally struggle to live a healthy life and positively and independently. Now I personally think if that people recognise that these lifelong effects were caused by drinking alcohol during pregnancy then maybe they really would think twice and not drink that drink. Genuinely, I feel like we really need to shout louder to help people realise that this is a condition which can be prevented. It can't be cured, but if we were able to minimise the, you know, people not drinking during pregnancy, then FASD doesn't need to happen for so many individuals. I can't imagine any expecting, you know, expecting parent wanting their child to have an increased risk of drug and alcohol misuse or a higher level of mental health problems in the future. So if we don't want that, then we need to help prevent it. That's why I think it's really important that we need to raise awareness. Now, I may not have given birth to my kids and sadly, I will never really know what their fetal experience was. But sadly, I do know that for my children, there is more than likely has been some form of um, alcohol or substance misuse um, during their pregnancies. And therefore, I know that my kids would be seen as having a higher risk of having FASD. That I knew that before I adopted my kids. So I suppose I did have some information given to me and some awareness raised on issues like FASD. However, at the time, I suppose your emotions are all over the place when you're going through um, adoption and matching. And you don't really take, you take on stuff and you read and you think and you listen and you talk, but everything becomes quite a blur, I suppose, especially when you're, you're so focused on the end picture of meeting your child whom you're matched with. But as a mum and together with my husband, we do everything we can to support our kids live the best life they can to the best of their ability. And it can be really challenging, you know. My kids are suffering the consequence of things that happened not because of any fault of their own, you know. As an adult, I don't think anyone would feed a child alcohol as a baby because we all kind of know that's wrong. So... I suppose it seems strange that we can, at some level, there has been some acceptance of people having alcohol whilst they're pregnant. So a young person, a child who grows to be an adult, who no fault of their own, has struggles to get along with their peers um, or is maybe seen as immature or can't follow the games of a rule because they get bullied, they get left out, um, become isolated as an adult, be seen as you know stupid all of these things that may be associated with a child a young person or an adult with FASD you know maybe 
that person is just doing the best they can because of their damaged neurological development, which is not their fault. And I'm not saying that every kid that has these challenges has FASD, but I just want people to recognise that hidden conditions like FASD can have such a devastating consequence for somebody in the their rest of their life, especially if they are not supported. Now, there are also some really common strengths associated with people who have FASD. And the focus can be put onto these to be able to provide the best support possible to help their ability in any way we can to aid their learning and for their growth as an independent adult. Now, people with FASD tend to be incredibly caring um, and especially to the most vulnerable. And they also tend to be really non-judgmental. And that tends to happen because they have quite poor social awareness but it means that they accept everybody as equals and so they tend to choose friends who have complex needs or may also be socially and emotionally younger and so they tend to be attracted to making friends with vulnerable people. So FASD, people living with FASD tend to be quite helpful and they tend to enjoy having a very clear job or a very clear role and with very clear defined instructions and purpose to it. And it tends to be the case that they can be seen as very friendly in speaking to anyone, also including strangers, and hence, um, because their social skills tend to need support, they may have very, what are seen as very appropriate social skills to be very friendly, but um, it's maybe something that can be seen as very lovely as a small child who wants to talk to everybody. Um, my son, for example, is very, very chatty to, chatty to everybody, no matter your age, whether you're a stranger or not, whether you are somebody driving past in a car with a window open or you are walking past with your dog. My son will talk to everybody and he, you know, everybody loves it. It seems very adorable, but as it can also bring challenges as it could do with somebody with FASD in that especially as a child gets older and as an adult, it may appear that someone is really lacking the understanding of personal space and uh, appropriate social skills. It's not appropriate to ask certain questions. It may be seen as quite intrusive or seen to be butting into somebody's conversation. Um, in, in my life, personally, for me, it means that, you know, what might be should be a 10 minute walk down to my shop in my village generally takes us about an hour because um, my son likes to talk to everybody. <laughs> and as a child, yeah, it's sweet and it's cute and it isn't something I would ever want to change from him. It's really lovely, but I, we have to provide a lot of support about appropriate social skills. It was actually something that came, it was a real challenge during the pandemic, especially when we were in the first lockdown when we could only go out for a walk a day and we needed to give people space. And my son really, really struggled with that because he just wants to run to everybody and be in their face and talk to them and it was very very difficult we had to try and go to walks in very remote places to not to ensure we weren't making other people feel uncomfortable as well but also giving him that space and that freedom to run so it can be really difficult to build on a strength like this without upsetting the child or making it awkward so you have to just tread really carefully and really help them grow awareness but with the correct support and therefore if there is a diagnosis and you are able to understand then that support can be put into place another um 
strength that people with FASD tend to have is that they're very energetic and they're always wanting to be on the go and always moving. Now, this can be fantastic for someone who's interested in sport and really wants to get involved in practical outdoor activities, for example, or enjoys building things. So, you know, that level of energy can be directed into things, okay? And therefore, that is, again, is another strength that can be supported and correctly supported. It will help negotiate some of the challenges, such as attention span, because if we can focus them on something they they are interested in, then that could be really positive. And interestingly, another FASD is um, strength is seen as perseverance um, and quite determined perspective. Um, however, it quite often maybe get mixed up with stubbornness. And I can imagine in a school situation how this can happen. But genuinely, it's a cognitive desire to want to do something independently. That generally tends to be because Focusing on something and completing things and problem solving can be seen as a challenge. But when someone with FASD is engaged and is focused on something that really motivates them, then they tend to become very, very determined and very, very independent and want to do it alone. Quite might come across as quite defiantly. But if that can be homed, then again, it's a really it's a big positive. Now, every person has the right to be an individual and have their own, obviously everyone will have their own way to deal with the strengths and challenges of FASD. But I think it just shows that, you know, there are strengths and there are challenges. And together, we if they're supported appropriately, then, you know, we can focus the challenges and, you know, come up with more positive solutions to support a person, be the best they can be. Now, this is why we need to spread the word more, in my opinion, about FASD as a neurodevelopment condition so that people can understand more about it, so that they can support better and that they can have a bit more understanding in a way to be able to put strategies and support in place. There may be people who can support the campaign to ensure prevention, you know, through no alcohol when pregnancy to ensure there's no risk of FASD. You know, if you have looked after a child with FASD or you maybe even suspect that a child you work with has FASD, then I suppose thinking about some of the things you could do to help support them is is really key. You know, my perspective here is more about supporting a child, but these would be skills that would develop with somebody throughout their whole life. So, you know, try to ensure that, you know, there's always a safe space or a safe place for somebody with FASD, someone who they know they can talk to, to they can just get that reassurance and support. And if that, you know, at home, it's maybe easier. But if it's in school or in a social group, it really needs to be set up so that the child knows who that person is that they need to go to. You know, it could be a sports leader of a group they go to or a teacher or a PSA or a support member of staff at, at school. But someone who they know is the person they go to if they just need a little bit of reassurance. It can make a big difference. They may never go to that person but just they have to have a connection with somebody who is safe for them wherever they are. Okay, at home it becomes a natural, you know, you're at home, you're safe, the people there love you, you're cared for and they're doing the best for you they can and you just need to be able to transition that to wherever a young person is. That could apply to any child, you know, depending on the needs of that child. 
There are other activities that can help, for example, with um, visual supports like photographs and um, <clears throat> being able to use images and stories that can really help a child understand how to plan what's coming up, what the routine is, the timetable that's being followed in school, for instance. So lots and lots of visual ideas so that we're taking away this feeling of fear. So for example, um, planning a holiday or a journey, it's a good idea to do things like look at maps to plan the journey, photographs of destinations, so people know where they're going. Um, another big one can be transitional objects. This can bring a lot of comfort if there is a particular um, thing which brings comfort to a young person. Now, we all accept that most babies, for example, have like kids' blankies or soft toys or their dodo, their dummy, whatever it is that they have with them all the time and it keeps them safe. But we generally, as a child gets older, oh, come on, come on, you're not a baby anymore. Come on, come on, keep going. You don't need that. I think it's acceptance that actually some children do need that and some adults need that too. So finding something that gives them comfort that they can keep with them or take with them and transition with is really helpful. Now there are lots of fantastic resources out there nowadays um, such as, um, you know, iron-on messages that you can put within children's clothes or, you know, taking a photograph with them or a very small toy or a key ring, spraying scents onto their clothes, you know, finding something really accessible that brings them some comfort and brings them some grounding. And this can really help with emotional regulation. You know, so as much as you can do to help prepare and explain any new changes, new situations, being able to take things slowly to support them, you know, short trips, play dates, um, you know, I, I mean like day trips maybe instead of short day trips, instead of long trips, you know, play dates can be small play dates to build up social skills, avoiding large events when they start and they end but going along for what happens in the middle you know so there isn't that kind of transitioning bit that's starting the chaos of people queuing at the beginning or everybody saying bye at the end for instance so for example if we ever go to a kind of a party for instance with my son and we tend to arrive late and we tend to leave early and I do try to informally let people know that we're just doing it because we, we get a bit excitable, we get a bit upset at saying goodbye and therefore it's just easier because they can come along and join in the playing bit and then we can leave when things are things are calm and when there's some safe zones, you know, some safe time because it gets feels a bit unsafe if everybody's leaving at the same time and that can cause some emotional deregulation. Um, I suppose another concept, yeah, safety is a massive thing, you know, so you know, having a safe space, this could be at home, you might have a den or a comfy place with a blanket, you know, where they happen to go to when they like hiding under the duvet. You know, most neurotypical people can self-regulate their emotions and we can recognise that maybe we need some quiet time or some quiet space and we, we just need to go and have a bit of chill time. But someone with FASD can really struggle with that self-regulation and hence really making them understand what it is and providing a space and facilitating it can can really really help so that they know you know when I need a bit of chill time or quiet time I just go to my little den it might be a swing it might be a hammock you know whatever it is that you need some sort of sensory free zone um recognizing that you go to this space 
it really is a life skill because if a child of you can start to help regulate your emotions, then that can really help improve your long-term mental health. The, the younger we can support people to do this, the better. Like I said before, people with FASD also tend to be really energetic and tend to like a lot of movement and can be helpful. So encouraging outdoor play, running, jumping, stretching, it can really help the kind of sensory skills and increase the chance of better attention when someone isn't doing physical activity. You know, and these are things which can benefit so many children with or without a condition or a diagnosis, you know. If we burn off our energy, you know, we can find if we're better focused to do something indoors. These are skills that we choose to do and they're just skills that maybe we need to put in place for people with FASD. As I said before, the earlier someone can receive a diagnosis of FASD, then the better their prospects are to be able to put that support in place. However, as a parent or a carer of a professional, you may recognise that a child or an adult that you're working with have some of the features of FASD and it's, it's difficult to get a diagnosis. And so I suppose what I'm trying to say is putting support and modifications out there relevant to their needs is, is not going to do any harm. Okay, now I found such amazing information on the FASD Scotland Hub. There was a total wealth of information and advice for parents and carers and professionals. What I found really inspiring was, you know, there's so many people so willing to research and to find out about FASD and recognize the challenges that it brings to people living with this disorder and recognizing how much support can be put in place. You know, people with FASD can grow to lead very successful, independent lives, and that needs to be celebrated. You know, people, no one deserves to receive um, this, you know. <laughs> That support and empathy and understanding needs to be given to people with FASD because it was out of their control. They were a fetus, you know. We need to help raise massive awareness about the increasing level of support we need to provide for people with FASD and the importance of being aware, as the hashtag is, not only to encourage people to support people appropriately, but also to be aware that it is not safe to consume alcohol during pregnancy. No alcohol means no risk and we can and we should be able to prevent FASD if we speak up and we support people and we educate them to realise that you can prevent someone from having a lifelong neurological condition I'd like just to advocate that people look up FASD, learn a bit more, just get to grips with it yourself and have an understanding so that we can be supportive to people who maybe are planning pregnancy or thinking about pregnancy and helping them understand why we need to take no risks. This is a condition we can prevent and this is a condition where people need appropriate support. So let's raise awareness of that this September for FASD awareness. Thanks for listening today and remember you can find us at www.thrivingfamilies.org.uk and you can also follow us and find out any updates on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.